Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I envision a world where every B2B SaaS startup succeeds because they're creating software that customers would miss if they were gone. And here's why. Research consistently shows that 90% of all startups fail, and that's bad. What's worse, however, is that 75% of SaaS scale-ups fail, companies that are supposed to have product market fit. Far too few scale-ups create the traction they aspire for and fail for the wrong reasons. And I believe this should stop, and hence I created my business. And the goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. First, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. Secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what it requires to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Sarah Hawley, CEO of Gromotely. I see it all the time. People reach out to me, I see it on LinkedIn where there's just a high level of frustration because companies are advertising remote jobs. People are applying for them only to find out that it's remote, but you have to live in this country or this city. And so it's actually excluding most of the world from applying for that job. And people are frustrated because I think those of us who really are for remote work and really understand it in the context that I am talking about here today is it's anywhere work and it's equal opportunity to anyone in the world to access employment opportunities. And that's the world that I want to create. This is Sarah. She's a serial entrepreneur and investor in startups, having founded eight companies since 2008. She's personally fueled by a passion for challenging the status quo on how we work, conscious culture and leadership, community, diversity and equality, and living a life on one's own terms. She's recognized as the IFA Thought Leader of the Year, was also named as one of Melbourne's top 100 most influential, inspiring and creative citizens by The Age and listed in the top 50 female entrepreneurs under 40 by Shoestring. She has completed the entrepreneurial master program at MIT, holds a Bachelor of Business and several diplomas. In August 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, she founded Gromotely, an all-in-one platform for growing your remote first company. Its mission, redefining how we experience work by bringing culture-first companies and professionals together across the world to do great things. And this inspired me, and hence I invited Sarah to my podcast. We explore what's broken in getting remote work to work. Sarah shares her vision about what it's really like to create a remote-first business and what needs to happen for it to come to fruition. She elaborates on the product strategy lessons she learned, what it took to bring her solutions to market in order to gain traction and start a movement. And last but not least, she explains why she dropped the idea of being a venture-backed company. And by listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, what's needed beyond a strong vision to start a movement. Secondly, 
Why she opted to focus on organic growth through word of mouth instead of outbound sales. Thirdly, what she did differently to achieve 48% referral rate, which is still growing. And lastly, why she pulled her business back to the mission and away from too much focus on growth numbers. So hi, Sarah. Thank you for making the time available today and being the guest on my podcast. Hey, Ton. I'm so excited to be the guest on your podcast. I love your emails and everything you do is so valuable and inspiring, which is <laughs> the name of, of your company. So I'm just excited to be part of it. Yeah. Thanks for that. It's making my day. Yeah, I mean, and you the same with me. Before this call, we talked about my previous roles and I was a chief evangelist at Unit 4 at uh, the last one and a half years when I worked there. You inspired me with how you evangelized kind of the journey and the movement that you're creating with your company, Grow Motely. So I had to reach out because this perfectly fits with the purpose of the podcast. Before we start talking about the company and the journey that you're going through, if you would describe yourself in two or three words as an entrepreneur, what are the characteristics that would come up? Oh, I love that question. Pioneering, I would say grit, resilience, you know, one of the two or both. And I guess there's always an aspect of optimism as an entrepreneur yeah. that feels very resonant. For me perfect uh, characteristics to have particularly in terms of what you try to do out there to get that movement going <laughs> yeah pioneering I'm, grit resilience and we're gonna my, make it we're gonna make it one way or the other <laughs> yeah my numerology life path is a one which is the path of a pioneer and when i learned that and read about it and understood it a lot of things in my life made a lot more sense because you know, I often have these experiences in my life where I'm out there pioneering, evangelizing for something that's a little bit new and a little bit different and not everybody fully gets it yet. And at times in my life, that's felt very lonely because I haven't in, when I'm not conscious of that, I was feeling like, why don't people understand what I'm saying? Why don't they agree with me? Why are they not here seeing this the way I do? But now I understand like, that's my role on earth, you know, that's one of my roles is to inspire possibility for people to show them something new and something that's possible. And so it feels a lot more comfortable to be there now, now that I have this understanding of my numerology. <laughs> we all have a role. Very good to understand that. Otherwise it will drive you crazy. But then exactly. once you know it, you can start to leverage it. Making the connection to your company, like what did you see? What problem did you see out there in the market <laughs> that was screaming for a solution that you're evangelizing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I turned my company's remote in 2014 because I wanted more freedom. I realized that I loved being an entrepreneur, but my life had become anchored around really the office, you know, this building that I had to go to every day. And yep. that was very counter to other aspects of my life that I always have valued and enjoy, which is travel and living in other parts of the world. And so the way that I solved this was to turn the company remote so that I could you know, go travel more, live wherever I wanted to live and still do the work that I loved. And it was like such a fantastic experience. And I realized I was gifting that same experience to my team because they were also now able to work remotely and travel. And I started hiring people from anywhere in the world because it didn't matter anymore where they were located. And as somebody who thinks more like a global citizen, a human being on planet earth. I don't identify as much with the idea of nation states. And I love meeting people and working with people in all different parts of the world. This way of working was so appealing. 
And so when I sold my last financial planning company, which is one of the industries I was previously in in 2018, and I'd been running everything remotely for sort of four or five years at that point, I started thinking, what do I want to do next? And the thing that I was most passionate about was what I had experienced as a result of turning my companies remote, the type of leader I had become, the type of culture I'd been able to create and the lifestyle that me and my team were having. And I just became incredibly passionate about that. I could not see a world in which we wouldn't all be working that way one day, but there was no way to easily do all of that. There was no easy way to access talent. So as a company, great, you decide you're going to be global and remote and way to go, that's awesome. You put a job ad up, where? Like, how do you find these people that are like anywhere in the world? And then how do you pay them? And then how do you kind of ensure they're really happy and create this thriving culture? So I saw an opportunity to create a comprehensive but simple HR tech that connects people and companies together, but does all of the kind of pieces that come with a remote workforce. So posting jobs, using an applicant tracking system, hiring people and then paying them and doing some professional development and culture scoring and things on an ongoing basis. So that was really the genesis of it was my own challenge that I faced in running global companies and being open to hiring anyone anywhere in the world, but not having any simple way of doing that. Yeah. And I mean, when was the year that you started that? That was 2018. 2019, I started working on the idea. And then 2020 is when I really kind of got rolling with, we raised a small round of funding that closed on March 13th, actually, right before the pandemic. That was the Friday before we went into lockdown. So it was uncanny timing. And then I was like, whoa, okay, I didn't see that coming. Like when I thought I don't see a future of work where we're not working remotely, I was thinking like 10, 20 years out and it just happened like that. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is crazy and incredible. And, you know, we've got to do this now. So oh, yeah. yeah. So 2020 is when I really went hard at it. Yeah. You were a pioneer of that whole mindset that everybody sort of, yeah, become accustomed to in the meanwhile. Mm-hmm. And then to do around just before lockdown, when you couldn't even see that one coming mm-hmm. with a couple of investors that possibly were believers, but they either didn't see it yet. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And those investors, those first very early investors, I mean, they were really people who have known me for 10 years and they were like, we just believe in you. Sounds like a good idea, Sarah, but ultimately like we're just backing you. And I'd never done a funded company before. And I just had a handful of people who had always said, you know, they were mentors, advisors, people I'd worked with. And they'd always said, if you ever do a funded company, I'd invest in you. And they were essentially the people I went to and they backed me. But yeah, they were definitely brave and courageous at that point because that was (laughs) pre-pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I just think we have to talk about like, what is the opportunity if you get this right? Because everybody is now in the understanding of what this could be like. Some are moving Mm -hmm. back, some are going on a hybrid, but at the end, remote is there to stay. And I know a lot of companies that have actually kind of decided to go full remote. Also to not give advantage to people that are together so that they're all in the same boat, you know? You're all remote, and as a consequence, that's how we run the business. But of course, it comes with problems that we've never seen before. So winding back then, how do you start from a technology perspective? Where did you start? What did you want to fix first? What was a very strategic choice early in the building phase? Well, I'm going to be completely frank. I don't think I was strategic enough about how we built our MVP. I wanted to build all of it (laughs) as the MVP and everything that I've learned now, I probably would certainly, I would say, go a slightly different direction and probably narrow in more, but we really built a very broad MVP that 
had the talent marketplace, had the job board, the applicant tracking system, the payroll and the contracts and everything. And so I look back now and think there probably would have been a more step-by-step way to build the technology and build the community around the technology and keep growing it that way. And I probably would have started with perhaps more like a job board and, you know, started to build up the traffic that way and then add these other pieces and parts on as we went. But everything's also perfect. Like I did understand at a deep level what other people wouldn't necessarily have known, which was the need for this whole solution. Like it's one thing to just have a job board, but like, how do you pay people? How do you contract them? How do you do all of that? Like if you build a team of 10 people in 10 different countries, there's a lot going on there that we just streamline and simplify. So I'm really proud of what we built. I've learned a lot about building technology since and probably trying to keep things a little bit more simpler and streamlined. So that's just like the complete honest truth is like, I don't know if we went about it the best way, but. And you got things going. I mean, I happen to come from the world of ERP and we happen to have a payroll system as well. So I know how hard it is to build a payroll system. That's the right thing for the US. That's the right thing for Canada. That's the right thing for Spain, Portugal, France, UK, Netherlands, etc. Mm-hmm. How did you make your choices in terms of where you invest to create defensible differentiation? And what did you go and kind of source from other areas that were possibly not kind of the core of your business? Yeah. So one thing that's sort of been shifting and evolving over the last couple of years is this global payroll piece. And there's a lot of competition in the space of global payroll tech. We have big companies like Deal, Remote, Oyster, Papaya that people might be familiar with. There's also, honestly, so many others out there that are doing this same thing. We're actually not competing with those companies. We use a contractor model instead of an employment Uh model. So we've actually built a very simple and streamlined payroll solution that sees the individual team members agreeing to be contractors and then being responsible for their own taxes and tax residency and visas and things like that. Now, this is very much in line with where I see the future of work going. And we don't know yet. We don't know what governments are going to do as they start to deal with what it really means to work cross-border. But at some level, I think employment is being uncoupled from nation state. This is something we haven't seen before. It's been very tied into your location and your local government and how you pay taxes. And that makes quite a lot of sense in the old world where I live in this city, I work in this city, I pay taxes in this city, I drive on the roads in this city, like all of that makes a lot of sense. When you start working for a company that's over there with team members over here and you're living, maybe you're a nomad, you're traveling around all year or whatever you might be doing, it doesn't really make a lot of sense anymore for employment and government to be quite as intertwined. Let's see where it goes. I don't know, but I lean toward this model that is empowered on both sides. So the individuals are empowered to determine where they want to live, to determine how they pay their taxes and who they pay their taxes to, to learn about their own financial management, to be empowered and take control of all those areas of their life. So that's what we have built. I think if we get to a place where we think it's really important that we have very watertight employment stuff and that's how it has to go and that's where the world goes, I think we will partner with one of those providers. I don't have any desire to build. It's really like a legal tech in a lot of ways and a very complex legal tech. I think if you're getting into employment law, it's a payments and payroll solution, but there's a lot of 
legal uh-huh. aspects that I think you're dealing with. And that's not my passion. That's not what we're passionate about. I can I'm imagine. I'm, yeah, I'm passionate about kind of this very free and empowered new way of working together around the world. And that's what I want to stay focused on. So if it comes to a yeah. place where, you know, we really need that as a solution, I think we would partner in with another provider. So, well, that's a great, great section that way to dissect there. How does Pierre, the drive that you have to create this world that you're after, how does that drive the decisions you make? And can you give an example of that? What in your technology like really supports that? Um, oh, gotcha. That, mm-hmm. that freedom for yes. people. So one is that independent contractor model, because with yeah. that model, you can live wherever you want. So yeah. while there's a lot of companies out there now who have said, okay, you can now you know, work remotely from wherever you want, like, but not, you can't move to another country because we can't actually legally pay you in that country or whatever. So that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why we use this model because I really want people to be empowered to live and move wherever they want. And I've got that lived experience. I did a LinkedIn post a few months back where I went back through all of my team and I made a list of all of the people who had moved countries at least once while working with me. And I think I had 20 people on that list. It's very real thing in my world that people are traveling around and moving to different countries. And I like that I don't have to worry about that. And they don't have to worry about, they don't need to ask my permission. They don't need to see if they can keep their job. It's like, they just do whatever they want in their lives. So that's, you know, a very practical and direct answer to that question and why we built it that way. Let me just make a small interruption here. Sarah just made an excellent remark about the principle that underpins what makes her solution remarkable. She and her team didn't focus on making existing things easier. They focused on de-worrying the owners and the employees that work for them from the challenges that come from running a remote-first business. It was about making hurdles go away completely, about just making things happen. That creates fans and results into word of mouth that they can build upon. It's a trait remarkable software companies master. They master the art of curiosity, connect the dots, focus on the essence, and then create new value possibilities that customers value and desire. And you can master these traits as well. The first step, simply read my book. I've made the electronic version available for free. Just visit theremarkableeffect.com to grab your copy and inspiration will spark in the next 10 minutes. Back to the interview. Another one is our benefits marketplace. So we created a benefits marketplace where individuals choose kind of what they want in terms of perks and benefits of their role. So a portion of their monthly contracting fee goes into their benefits bank balance or benefits account balance. And then they choose if they want to pay for insurance or coaching or therapy or whatever it might be. And we're constantly adding more things into that because once again, I think as a company, you know, I can decide I want to give these perks or benefits to all of my team, but not a hundred percent of them are going to value the same things that you think are good for people. So why not let them choose what they actually want to and what's appropriate for them at this point in their life and allow them to have these benefits this year. And then maybe next year they want to change and do something else. And maybe they just want to do some therapy for three months. Great. Just plug into that. And then, okay, I want to do coaching. I'll do coaching every month for a year. Maybe I don't want to do that next year, but like really allowing people to be empowered to choose how they build that aspect of the company. So those are a couple of examples of this future world that we're trying to create and how we're building our product to do that. Yeah, I can definitely see how you can make a difference there. I mean, for one, for a company to go remote or to support remote is one thing, but I think with solutions that you're bringing to market with Growmotely, that could actually start to become an advantage for them. Because I mean, Huge if advantage. I was looking yeah. for, 
if I was looking for a new job or getting on the market and I would subscribe to your platform, I would know that the people that would connect with me to possibly have a job would all have that mindset. Yep. And this is one of the big things that we're seeing right now on the candidate side in the world is I see it all the time. People reach out to me. I see it on LinkedIn where there's just a high level of frustration because companies are advertising remote jobs. People are applying for them only to find out that it's remote, but you have to live in this country or this city. And so it's actually excluding most of the world from applying for that job. And people are frustrated because I think those of us who really are for remote work and really understand it in the context that I am talking about here today is it's anywhere work and it's equal opportunity to anyone in the world to access employment opportunities. And that's the world that I want to create where we're really looking at finding the best people anywhere in the world and people being able to find a company anywhere in the world that they can work for without these restrictions that in a lot of ways, a lot of these laws and things that are in place are to protect employees and these employment laws that are there, but they were made a hundred years ago and 50 years ago and what have you. And we're in a new world now. So we need a new framework to work under because now it turns out they're excluding people. Like companies can't employ you in X country because there's no law for it. And that's actually exclusionary when we think of it like that. But is it, I mean, that's where I think eventually it comes in because they simply don't know what's Mm -hmm. the art of the possibility, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I go back to the fact that I have moved from the Netherlands to Spain in 2009, but Spain was possible because we had a subsidiary here and I became an employee of the Spanish subsidiary and getting paid here. If I would have moved to another country, wherever I would like yeah. to, it would have been a problem. Recently, yeah, I had exactly. someone on my podcast from, I think it was someone I spoke on Lunch Club from Swapcard, their mm-hmm. CFO, company is headquartered in Paris, CFO is actually living in Mauritius. That is the thing you want to have there. And yeah, I was initially amazed. So cool. And then the other one is like, okay, why not? It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, my whole team is spread across, I think, 15 different countries at this point. There's two others in my team in the US, but in different states, the rest of everyone's all over the place. And it's incredible. I mean, if you're anyone who enjoys traveling and has lived a little bit more of that lifestyle, working in a global team is like nothing else. It's so amazing every day. Exactly. One thing that I always try to kind of get my finger around is like, what has been the hardest not to crack on this journey? You've been an entrepreneur for a while now. Mm-hmm. You were talking initially about 2014. In starting this, in getting this moving, what's been really hard? You know, there's a lot of things that are challenging as an entrepreneur. So I feel like there's a laundry list. There's a laundry list of wins and successes, and there's a laundry list of challenges. And, you know, oftentimes there's more, more challenges than there are successes as an entrepreneur, especially in the yeah. early stages. I'll talk about something that's really relevant right now and to this conversation. And that is that it's something that I've fully got my head around in the last couple of weeks and really accepted. Remote work is now accepted as normal. Then the pandemic really gave us a huge slingshot forward. I mean, I don't even know where this company would be without the pandemic. It almost feels crazy to me that I was thinking about building this without the pandemic. And we still have probably, I don't know, some percent of the world that thinks they want to go back to offices and stuff. So there's still, you know, an aspect of dissonance there, but it has been a huge slingshot forward. What I've understood more recently is that while companies and people all over the world are very open to remote work now, the idea of working in a completely globally distributed team is still really new. I think I missed that. It was a bit of a blind spot for me because I've been remote. 
since 2014. And the very first thing I did when I was remote was hire someone from another country. It was like the first thing I did because my brain made that connection like, oh, we're remote. So I don't have to hire in Melbourne anymore. I can hire anywhere. But most other companies, because of the context of how we went remote was like, here's our local team. Now we work in our homes. Okay. We're still hiring people that we kind of know and are familiar with in this culture, in this area. And I've understood just really in the last few weeks that that's actually our big hurdle now. It's not the remote work piece. It's helping companies understand the benefits and the power of hiring a globally diverse team and knowing that that's still something that needs a lot of ways. I think we're early in the market. We're early what we're doing. And accepting that has been really powerful because I really care about what we're doing more than the timeline of which we're able to get it done. If we have to grow more slowly for a while and then we grow bigger, I'm okay with that. Like trying to force growth at an early stage when we probably are, you know, operating the very front of the bell curve of this movement. It's just like understanding like, okay, so it's really all about evangelizing right now and showing who we are and being that in the world so that people can understand and open up to these possibilities. So that was something that I didn't see. So it was kind of a hard nut to crack because I wasn't fully understanding like, why aren't people just getting this and jumping on board? And I think the professionals do, you know, there's professionals all over the world that want to work in this way, but companies are the ones that still need to kind of move into this. Yeah, I mean, there's, of course, there's heritage, there's hierarchy, there's so many things that they have to get around with. And I think it's Mm -hmm. good that COVID lasted for at least two years, because if it was only half a year, which would have been long enough, it wouldn't have happened. I understand that. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I'm talking about kind of creating a movement. What have you learned on that journey? Because, I mean, you're just one person course, like a loud voice. And I think what you're doing is amazing there. But what have you seen has become yeah, the things to do or not do in achieving that, making it really something that creates a global resonance? I love this question and this topic. And you and I chatted just briefly about it before the podcast, but I don't think I've really talked a lot about it. I don't think people have really asked me a lot. So it's really interesting for me to just be thinking about it and reflecting on it. I would say Firstly, it is something that comes natural to me. And I think that's interesting and important because when we hone into what is innately our gift and our genius and natural for us, we're going to have the most easy experience of moving towards success, right? So trying to create a movement, if you're not oriented in that way, I can only imagine would be like really quite difficult. And what I mean by that is you know, I am this pioneering person. I'm evangelical about the things that I'm passionate about. Also, I'm very confident to speak about things and it's still always a journey, but to speak about things that I know other people don't necessarily fully understand and be out there out front talking about something and kind of like leading the charge, so to speak. And not everyone is comfortable with that because basically a lot of people don't understand what you're talking about. So it's not always easy to be in that position. But for me, it's about 
my passion. It feels like my life's work. You know, this is my heart and my soul and what I really care for, for humanity. And there's nothing else I want to really be talking about every day and pushing forward. So I think that's a big part of creating a movement is being and truly, truly feeling evangelical about that thing and wanting people to talk. But I think there's also an aspect of being inclusive. So language is very powerful. And the way we talk with our community, I think there's a lot of power in being inclusive. So even though I'm evangelizing and I want to get out there, I don't want to do it in a way that's you know, aggressively belittling people who don't agree with me or who aren't on the same path. And I think that's where things tip over sometimes from a really beautiful, warm community type movement into something that it's got more of that fight that yeah, aggressive, aggressive kind of approach against that's something. Not, yeah, it's against something. Like that's not me. I'm not against the old way of working, so to speak. If that really feels like what is right for you and you really truly enjoy that style of working, then I support that. What I'm for is knowing who we are being curious and open and finding what is the best fit for us. And I think Anywhere Work gives us a lot of that. So I feel like I have found a good balance of being able to evangelize for something in a way that's reasonably inclusive while still being strong and passionate about the things that I think about. I really think about community and connecting with people and bringing them on this journey and not being afraid to talk about the things that people are thinking about and curious about and wanting to know, I'm not afraid to be the one to say the things that maybe aren't being said all the time. Uh huh. Are you just looking at it like kind of to attract people to like the thing that you're doing there? Or is it also about creating maybe an ecosystem around it? It's very much about creating an ecosystem. And that word is, it's interesting that you use that word because early on in the Grimotely journey, I saw, I'm a very visual person and I see things in like visions and images a lot of the time. And I saw Grimotely as this ecosystem and it's like our internal team and the people who work on it. It's all of the professionals in our community. It's all of the companies in our community. It's all of our partners. It's all of our investors. It's like really all the stakeholders that are involved in this ecosystem that is moving the world forward when it comes to how we're working together. And then I really understood like this is a community and this is a community-led brand and we are moving forward as a community. There is an aspect of me that it is innate. Like I've always been a social person, not necessarily extroverted, but I've been a social person who enjoys bringing people together. And all of my companies, looking back, I've grown them through community. Even my financial planning company, I had Australia's first millennial-focused financial planning company, and I grew that through community, which was very obscure and different. Financial planning is not normally like that. You book an appointment with a financial planner, you go into their office, you sit across them, and you leave, and that's it. We would throw huge parties and get 200 millennials in Melbourne, Australia together in our our office, which was actually a house. It was really cool. And we uh-huh. would come together and party and hang out. We didn't talk, no presentations. We didn't talk about finance or anything. We just hang out, create this community of people and get them all to know each other because we all want to be successful and do well with our finances and you know do great work in the world. And these were these commonalities that we were bringing people together on. Mm-hmm. And that's how we grew the company. And I have the League of Extraordinary Women, which is a big community of female entrepreneurs, which the mission is to kind of help kind of create more equality and raise the participation of females in the entrepreneurial ecosystem. So these businesses that I've had in the past where I just naturally lean into this idea of community because I think I innately like it. I like being a part of something and being with a group of people and 
moving something forward kind of as a team. It's kind of my nature. So yeah. I want to share it like that because it's not something that I'm strategic about, if that makes sense. It's something uh -huh. that just comes naturally for me. And I yeah. don't know if that's the way for other people, but that's how it feels for me. I speak to so many different tech entrepreneurs at the end through the podcast and through the work that I do on a day-to-day -day basis. But at the end, everybody wants to create their momentum. The community mm -hmm. is, is used more and more as a vehicle. But beyond the community, it's also movement, you know, because you always have to be about people meeting together in community. It can also be just people supporting the idea. Exactly, um, yeah. Community can take different forms. And I think it can also shift and evolve over time. Like, yeah. I think the two words that you're using are really relevant, like community and movement. And both of them are a group of people wanting to come together behind something. And in one aspect, they maybe they want to connect with each other over this shared kind of mission. Yeah. And in another aspect, they want to support the mission. It also seems to interchange and interweave. Like if I look at Wealth Enhancers and the League of Extraordinary Women, it was much more about the community coming together. And I would say in a lot of ways with Gromotely, it's a little bit more the movement. We've just actually opened up our community hub so professionals can join and network with each other. But ultimately, I think the commonality here, particularly in this company and what we're bringing forward in the world is around like this movement of supporting each other, but also just generally pushing this whole movement forward. Interesting. What have you learned in starting or well, going to market with this and starting to get your first customers? What have I learned? Well, most of our customers to date come through, they, it started through my network. And people that I knew and using my voice, you know, talking to people like on podcasts and on my own social media and speaking events and things, and then growing through word of mouth and referral from there. So that's really been our biggest source of new business. We have very happy raving fan type customers who have a really high referral rate. And we've tried a lot of outbound sales and everything, and it really hasn't worked well for us to date. And it might in the future, I don't know, but for right uh -huh. now, it's not. And we're in kind of an inflection point at the moment where we're actually really just going to keep focusing on more of our organic growth and focusing on making sure our customers are just super happy and they continue to refer and then just maximizing all of those referrals and that network effect because a lot of the efforts in the outbound sales and everything have been kind of pretty futile. So... Yeah. I mean, word of mouth, of course, is, I mean, I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effect, and that is exit at the end. It starts with that thought. I mean, that's sort of the movement I am trying to create here. You now move away from mediocrity or like good is good enough. Now create something that people talk about. Mm -hmm. and that is a mindset resulting into these type of experiences where I hear more and more people these days that say, we actually don't spend a lot or actually nothing on marketing. Yeah. But word of mouth is just how we're feeding it. I really want to lean into that because it's interesting to be looking back. We have about 18 months we've been in market now. Yeah. So it's still fairly early, but we have a significant amount of stuff we can look at and history and experiences to start making future decisions on. I really look at that and say, like, well, what is working? Like, let's nurture what is working. Let's stop yeah. trying to do all of these other things that we're reading about and hearing about and thinking that we have to try and let's just do what's working. Like it's actually yeah. works with ease. Like our customers refer us with ease. People come and talk to me after hearing me on a podcast with ease. 
But when we're like out there trying to bang on doors and trying to create funnels and marketing and figure out the right digital, it's not easy. Like all that stuff is really energetically, it's challenging and it's draining because it's not really working for us. And so I'm not saying we're closed to it or not doing any of it at all in the future or what have you. But for right now, like let's focus on what is happening with ease and how do we just, you know, welcome more of that in. Have you got anything in like maybe even embedded in, inside the software that encourages your customers to spread the word for you? I mean, how do you make it easy no, for customers to refer you? We don't, but this is the thing, right? We probably should have done that. But given the fact that we have a 48% referral rate already oh, and we're making yeah. it hard for them, they have to like email connect us. Given the fact we have a 48% referral rate already, I think you know, building something in the technology to make it easier would be much better time spent than trying to figure out spamming hundreds of people with LinkedIn and email, which is just actually really out of integrity for me. It's not the world I want to create. Like the amount of outbound marketing sales messages that I get every day is just untenable at this point. And it's like mailbox spam. Like nobody enjoys going to their mailbox and bringing that pile of junk into the house, throwing most of it in the trash, but the one actual letter. And that's what's happening in our inboxes and LinkedIn inboxes now. And I really want to move away from that world because it's not actually a world I want to create. No, I 100% copy you on that one. Looking at the time, you're making that connection to the book that I wrote. You being a tech entrepreneur, two companies, first of all, a financial planning company, and now you're doing Grow Motley. In my book, I'm talking about the traits that that companies need to have in order to create something that people start talking about and keep talking about. What do you believe is a very important trait or are very important traits that you have to carry and that you also orchestrate for? So as a brand, you mean like what are the traits that the brand kind of, the company, so to speak? I think it is having a really clear like vision and mission. Like why do you exist and what are you standing for? Because those are the things that people want to get behind, whether it's team members joining the company, customers, media, people who might be interested in it. Like, I think that gone are the days of, and I really hope gone are the days of just doing business because we see a financial opportunity that we can exploit. You know, I don't think that's in our future. I don't think we find the best talent if we want to do that. I honestly don't think it's good for our souls to do business in that way. We're moving to a time and a world where doing business that's good for people and good for the planet is a not negotiable. It's the only way that we should be doing business. It's the only way we should be living. And I hate the word should. I hate telling people what to do, but I think that, you know, it's important. We are doing business that's good for people and good for the planet. And so I think having that clear vision of like, where do we want to take this company that we're building and why are we here? Why do we exist? Why do we matter? What is this kind of important cause that we are working toward. You know, for us, it's about redefining work for humanity. That's why we wake up every day. That's why we do this because it's important. You know, we're coming out of a time of hierarchy and there's a lot of workplace trauma because of the way that people treat each other in this hierarchical structure that doesn't allow for trust and empowerment and respect of everyone in the organization as sovereign individuals. So we are showing up every day in our company to redefine that, to come to a place where people are empowered and they're trusted and they're respected and they get to do their genius work and they get to do it from wherever they want in the world. And this changes everything. You know, and working together in a way all over the world 
starts to break down a lot of biases and barriers and starts to improve humanity overall and ultimately I think lead to world peace. That's a whole other conversation. But I mean, I think when we break down all these barriers of who we are and we understand we're all just human beings on earth, we're not different from each other and working together every day is a way to do that. But I think that's what's important right now and into the future is understanding who you are and why you exist and communicating that with people who are going to work with you, customers, and just being clear and putting that forward. Yeah. I mean, everybody knows that. Still, I see that first of all, vision and mission are completely ill-defined, wrongly defined, because it's about Mm -hmm. what they want to become like a billion dollar Mm -hmm. unicorn and not what the change they try to create in the world. But how are you taking things from vision to execution and make sure that everybody stays laser focused on staying on that track? Because it's so easy that you divert because we like to do this and we like to do that. You Mm -hmm. got a framework for that? I do. And like, we still go off track sometimes, like we're not perfect, you know, like we've recently gone through a whole shift inside our culture where we realized we were getting focused on, because we're trying to raise a venture capital and we realized we were getting too focused on growth and the numbers and we were getting away from our mission. And then we all got together and we said like, hey, let's not do this because this doesn't feel in alignment with why we're doing it. So we've dropped the idea of being a venture funded company and we're going in a different path because what's more important to us is to serve our mission. So I think firstly is being compassionate with yourself when you go off path because it does happen. But having that vision and that mission and your core values or ethos written down and reviewing them regularly and having real conversations about how well are we doing with this stuff is what's going to bring you back to center more quickly. So in our company, we look at all of that every single month in our all company meeting. That's how we open the meeting. We go over our vision. We go over our mission. We look at our values. We share value stories of how we've lived the values in the last month or so, how everyone's doing, kind of giving each other shout outs for embodying the values of the organization. And that is what helps us you know, come back to center. And so in the context of Grow Motley right now, we use our own culture tools in our platform where we ask our team how aligned they're feeling, how happy they are. And I look at that because that is a leading indicator of my company and where things are going. And up until two months ago, it was always above nine out of 10. And the last two months, our scores dropped to eight point something out of 10 and then seven point something out of 10. And mm-hmm. that was just like, all right, like what is going on? We had to dive in. And this is how we figured out like, you know, and it's really easy to get blinded by something because, <laughs> you know, someone else is telling you or it feels exciting or it's an opportunity and it just takes you down a path and you don't even realize. But because of our practices of using our culture tools in the platform and of going through the vision, mission and the values every month in our meeting, you know, we're able to bring it back within two months of it starting to slip. So I think that's what the practices do. It's not about being perfect and expecting that you're never going to go off course because we do, you know, we're always evolving and growing as humans and as a complex yeah. organization that is a company with all those different humans, we're also going to go off course at times. Yeah, the life of a company is really all about. Glad I asked mm-hmm. the question because I think it will inspire a lot of people to start looking at that and possibly make it a little bit more formal. Last question. From the lessons that you learned being an entrepreneur, bits of wisdom that you've gained over time, what would be a do and what would be a don't that you could would share with other aspiring tech entrepreneurs? Mm-hmm. What has made the biggest difference for me in my journey as an entrepreneur is getting to know myself and my own strengths and weaknesses and continuing to do my own inner work and grow as an individual. What didn't work for me was reading leadership books and trying to embody what it told me to do in that book. 
you know, that didn't work for me because that was somebody else's style. And it's not to say don't read books and don't meet with other people and talk with them, but be discerning, use what resonates. You'll have a conversation with someone and go, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Like you just put words around something that I feel and you gave me a framework for how I can do it. Brilliant. But if someone just tells you like, this is the way to achieve performance, you do X, Y, Z, and you're like, okay, but I'll go do it because that's apparently the way, like it probably won't work. So I think that would be some advice that I would give myself as a younger entrepreneur and give others is like, keep doing that inner work. Keep looking at yourself, self-reflecting, get to know yourselves, you know, do therapy, do coaching, do courses to learn and know yourself more and bring all of that into your organization because it will become a much richer place when you're bringing your genius, who you really are into the organization. So I guess, you know, the other thing is just knowing that it's a big journey. It's up and down and it's all over the place and being kind with yourself and compassionate and surround yourself with other entrepreneurs who know that journey because it is difficult and it's easy to look out in the world and see all the success and think, oh, why isn't it like that for me? Like, why isn't it not? If anyone's seen that chart, that's like what entrepreneurship looks like and what it's actually, and it's like a big squiggle, like that's the truth, you know, and it It can be every day. So just surrounding yourself with people and knowing that it will be tough at times, but you can keep going. And every time we go through these challenges, we expand. And that's where that grit and resilience and determination grows within us so that we can keep moving forward. Wise words. Thanks for sharing this. And I think it's a good way to end the interview with some inspiration from your side. Sarah, thank you very much for sharing the journey, um, for being on this mission to redefine work for humanity. I'm going to keep following you. Uh, Good luck in the next steps. You too, Ton. Thank you so much. And I just thank you for your emails. I love them. The content that you put out is so valuable and helpful. And I know that every time I read something, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It just hits. So I really appreciate the work that you're doing in the world too. (laughs) Makes my day. Thank you. And this ends my conversation with Sarah. And I hope you enjoyed it. If so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Sarah Harley, CEO of Growmotely. As said, The goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission, that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book, or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes, or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. 
Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.